the Radical Secular Podcast, a demand for justice, equality, and rational public policy. Subscribe at YouTube, Apple Podcasts and all the major podcast channels. Visit our website at theradicalsecular.com for articles, transcripts, and our complete library of episodes. Support us on Patreon and follow us on social media. Hello, and welcome back to The Radical Secular. I'm Joe Kipinti. I'm Drew Scott. I'm Sean Prophet. So as you can see, we have a new face on the show. I want to warmly introduce Drew Scott to our team. Yeah, welcome, Drew. So glad that you're here. This has been, I've been excited about this for a while. Thanks, guys. Me too. Um, you know, uh, long-time listeners may be uh, uh, familiar with me. Uh, from my pre- previous appearance on the show, the week of January 6th, which was quite a memorable week for all of us. Um, but uh, I, I'm a pro- secular progressive musician, all-around nerd, collect action figures and whatnot. Um, everyone on the team brings uh, a special something uh, to the radical secular, and I'm a bit of a pop culture guy. So uh, I look at that through the lens of a secular progressive and uh, hope to bring some of that commentary to uh, to what we're doing here. And we definitely need that. It's like we're in a yeah. situation here where we, you know, I think Joe's got the uh, academics covered. Christoph uh, uh, and I have have the have the politics sort of covered. But what we're missing is that kind of extra pop culture, humor, levity, and and uh, youthful perspective that you have. So it's it's I think it's going to be really great. Yeah, I'm very pleased uh, you joined uh, this project, honestly. I'm looking forward to working with you. Welcome again, Drew. Thanks, guys. Happy to be a part of the team. And oh, one one thing I want to ask you. I do hear this rumor that you have a Tribble. (laughs) Yes, I do have a Tribble. Because we got to mention something Star Trek, so we might as well just get it over with. <laughs> that, I'm go. glad you remembered that, Joe, because we actually, I'm telling you, uh, we probably wouldn't have mentioned it if you hadn't said probably something. Not. <laughs> no, I, I do what else you got trouble. back there? Oh, man. Uh, a wide collection of action figures. Uh, these are all from uh, Alien. So these are all of the creatures from all of the uh, six major Alien films. I've got the Fantastic Four over here, a bunch of DC characters bunch of uh, uh, video game characters, Ninja Turtles, uh, alien predators, and all kinds, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. So now it's time for those t-shirts. So let me start with mine. And my, I'm going right for the straight off the cuff here. This t- We're going to be talking about the pandemics. So I've got my Because Science t-shirt. That's and- cool, man. It's got a lot of scientific instruments on there and uh, some uh, th- elements from the periodic table. That's a, that's a cool shirt. Love it. Yep, right on the money. Well, my shirt is an, is kind of a cross between Antifa and the French Revolution. It says "Liberté, Égalité, and Solidarité," and I probably mangled that French, but this is, you know, I think it, it's it's appropriate given where we are as a country and as a world right now because we are fighting for those same things and and we're fighting fascism. So I think that was. Yeah, it's that classic icon of the three arrows pointing sort of down and to the left a little. Classic. Down and to the left. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mine is a uh, good old-fashioned Shin Godzilla shirt, which I think is the scariest iteration of Godzilla that there has ever been. And because that film so accurately 
dissect the way bureaucracies try to respond to disasters. Uh, in the case of Shin Godzilla relating to Fukushima, similarly to how the original film related to atomic bombs, uh, I just felt that that parallel was appropriate. That's right on the Definitely. money. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're Godzilla fans here in my family. We watch just about all of them and that's a good one. We, I really enjoyed that one. I haven't seen it, but I look forward to it. Yeah. So let's get on with the news and what's happening in the world in terms of the pandemic. Now, here we are again, right? It's been 20 months or so since the start of the pandemic, about seven or eight months since the, the vaccination uh, began, ro the rollout. And we are still mired in this issue when we could be doing much better. And we're going to talk about that. Now, the thing is, I want to really focus on a bit in the beginning here is a global perspective. Because we cannot forget that we are living in one unified system here. Humanity has a shared planet. We share resources. We share diseases. And what we do to assist uh, our fellow humans in other parts of the world goes back to us, especially here in this case. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it's insane that we have people in our country who are just turning up their nose at this vaccine. They're at great risk. And they're, the vaccine is free. And there are other places in the world where people would literally give almost anything to get this vaccine. I mean, they, they, people are scared for their lives and Americans are just going, huh, you know, so it's, it's frustrating, incredibly frustrating. Yeah, it's so readily available in you know, the United States that it's almost like the pandemic's over if we want it. But there's this portion of the country that just doesn't seem to want it, doesn't want to wear masks, doesn't want to get vaccinated, doesn't want to quarantine, doesn't want to do anything. And the consequences be damned. It's incredibly frustrating and it's just perpetuating this frustrating nightmare. Well, and they had this film that came out uh, last year called Plandemic, right? Well, this is the pandemic. These people are planning to continue this pandemic. And it's just insane. I mean, it's, it's really an interesting point of projection, right? Because everything it they is. say about the left and about science is, is really, is really what they're doing, uh, is perpetuating this thing. Well, and ostensibly what they want is to get rid of this pandemic. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to wear masks. They don't want to do social distancing. They don't want to get vaccinated. Well, the only way to get rid of this pandemic to move beyond it is to cooperate with science and public health measures. That's the only way we're going to get out of this. And so they're the ones that are prolonging this. It's utterly insane. Yeah. Well, anyway, let me talk about some other countries first. Canada, the UK, Germany, and Spain have all surpassed the United States now in terms of vaccinations. They're all well over 50%. But we can't forget the poor countries in the world are still incredibly low. Their vaccination rate in most places in the world is well under 5%. In some places, it's under 2%. And so that plays back on us because, again, the more prolonged this, this pandemic goes, the more people are infected, the higher the chances of having new variants. Every single human being that's exposed is a laboratory for this virus. And that's what we have to think about. We cannot solve this by just dealing with our own. And there's so many global issues are like that, like climate change, for example. And this is, the, this is what we really have to hammer in 
to to uh, our to our population to our people that we are not isolated and americans tend to really be myopic about the rest of the world it's really a collective action problem and that's something yeah. that we're just terrible at and it's it's what it has really exposed the uh the the terribly weak underbelly of libertarianism this idea that you know these people just don't want to work with each other they don't want to do anything they're told and things like this where like climate and covid everyone's actions affect everyone else yeah i mean libertarianism in short where you're putting it is the repudiation of the social contract yeah and, and they, without, they'll say that all the time i didn't sign a social contract yeah <laughs> and without a social contract you don't have society yeah libertarians are basically the equivalent of you know eric cartman in the political <laughs> realm you know yes. do what i want yeah. yeah. Uh, the, other, the other thing I want to mention is, okay, so ostensibly there's officially about 4.2 million dead in the world, but mm -hmm. actually a report just came out of India that shows that there are 10 times as many deaths as reported in India, which means there are 4 million dead already just in India. So the, the death count is probably far higher than that and climbing. And this new variant is really changing. It's, it's a game changer. It's a, almost like a new disease. If you think of, look at Australia. Australia has done a phenomenal job keeping its population safe until recently. Now with this variant, they're, having, they're struggling. And they're starting to get a large number of cases now, even there. Because this but, is a game changer. It's crazy because Australia literally closed its borders. Yeah. Yeah. And here yeah. in Los Angeles, we, we've uh, reinstituted the uh, mask mandate. No? I yeah. think that's going to be a more common story coming up in the next few months. Yeah. I also want to mention there are places that you never hear about that are really terribly struggling with this disease, like Myanmar, for example. Now, Myanmar is a country of 55 million. And there's a Times of India article that I was reading. Uh, there are no vaccines there. The only people who are, maybe a few thousand high elites have gotten vaccinated out of 55 million. That's about it. Hospitals reportedly have stopped taking patients. There's no oxygen available. Oxygen can only get, be, be gotten in the black market if you're wealthy. Um, doctors are going underground there. And there, some reports are expecting millions to die just in that one small country alone. And I mean, we can talk about South Africa is another one, right? They're experiencing right now very bad unrest, social unrest, uh, probably the worst since apartheid. Yeah. And it was sparked by the arrest of the ex-president Jacob Zuma. Uh, and as a consequence, the economy with the pandemic is faltering. Less than 3% of South uh, Africans are vaccinated. Uh, the, so far, be, since the start of the pandemic, 13 million South Africans have been pushed into abject poverty, which means poverty that is not survivable, that you, you're beginning to starve, you're beginning to get, you know, not be able to sustain your life. And, you know, this is an example of, of how this pandemic is really altering the landscape of the planet, and especially developing countries. It's reversing a lot of the social progress on poverty that we've seen over the last 20 years, and it's not over. The, this pandemic, if you think about it, it really mirrors global inequities that we can talk about beginning all the way back centuries in colonialism. Mm -hmm. And 
the, I mean, the, I want to show you a chart that uh, really illustrates this. Now, if you look here, there's some selected countries, and you can see the first world countries, uh, developed nations like Canada, UK, Italy, Germany, US are all up well above 50% in the share of people who have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine. Brazil has made great strides of late. It's up to a little over 40%. India is a little over 20%. But if you look at so much of the world, like here we have Afghanistan and Kenya and the Central African Republic, they're just not making any progress whatsoever. It's like they're still down around 2% of the, um, you know, 2% of their population has been, been vaccinated. Yeah, like, like along with Myanmar and South Africa, right? And we yeah. we talked about Myanmar on a show several months ago about the coup that happened there. And there's right. just, it, it, you know, this talk about just the hits just keep coming for those poor people. I mean, it's just, it's insane. And we look at, we look at, we still live in, in relative luxury compared to them and we have our vaccines. It's just, it's mind boggling to think about how privileged and entitled and spoiled Americans are, frankly. Yeah, I was just going to say how much people take it for granted in this country <laughs> right before until you said spoiled. I mean, yeah, um, it's, it's shocking. it is. It is. And I have to say, you know, that's changing. I mean, the har just hardships coming here and they already have come. I mean, you can see the last five years we've seen a decrease in life expectancy year after year. That just doesn't happen in modernity unless there's a major, major crisis. And it hasn't happened in any other developed countries except the United States. Yeah, well, I'm not surprised. Yeah, that's something we can talk about later, a different show. But it, it's really stunning that this is happening. Uh, speaking of the United States, there, one of the things that people might not realize is for the first time ever since the beginning of this pandemic, all 50 states are climbing at once. That hasn't happened before until now. Um, and that includes infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. They're all increasing. Uh, some states, of course, are doing much worse, like Missouri and Florida in particular, parts of the South and West. And there's really a clearly strong correlation between red states and these faster increases. It's just really, really interesting because we're at this point where I, I'm serious, like a month ago, I was thinking, well, we're, we're, we're turning the corner. We've turned the corner. We're going to be right. through this. And if you think back to 1918, right? There was a second wave of the pandemic in the 1918 flu, and it was kind of after everybody thought the pandemic was over and then an even worse surge. We could be in that territory. We could be going into territory like that because we have just a lot of people who are not getting the vaccine and who are they've, they've dug in their heels. Yeah. Now, there yeah. seems to be a little progress, but. Yeah, it comes from all angles too. Like, I don't think I don't think the right has a has a monopoly on vaccine hesitancy. You know, there good point. You know, these neo hippie types who would think that all natural is always going to be better. Well, you know, the coronavirus and smallpox and uh, polio are also all natural. So <laughs> that's not that's not really a good way to look at things. You know, nature. Yes, we are one with nature, but you know, nature is also brutal and unforgiving. And one of the things that gives us our humanity is our ability to separate ourselves from that Darwinistic, uh, brutal aspect of, of right. nature itself. Absolutely. And they don't really understand when they, when, when they make statements like, oh, I want to have my natural immunity, that your body can't make the antibodies for COVID. It just, it, it, without, without contracting the disease, there's no way that you can build up your immune system for this. 
It just doesn't have the information, has no experience with the virus until it's exposed to it. And by then it's too late. And so that is what is the fallacy about people saying, well, I'm going to eat well and exercise and have high natural immunity doesn't work. No, I mean, it's great to do all that stuff, right? Yeah, you want to build up your body, your strength, your, your endurance and all that. Wonderful. It's great. And you can go out and work out at the gym and get really muscle, take martial arts classes and, and get a black belt. But if a tiger come and jumps at you, you're going to die, right? <laughs> you're better off with all that. But there are limits. And this pandemic, this virus is vicious and deadly. And the bodies cannot handle it without you know, support like vaccinations. It's that simple. I'm planning on getting like super vaccinated. Honestly, I, <laughs> I got the J and J back earlier in the spring and uh, I was watching an interview with Fauci where he was saying, if you got the J and J, you can actually go and get uh, the Pfizer or the Moderna after the fact, and that will boost your immunity to the virus even further. So right, I heard do that it. a couple weeks ago and I'm, I'm there. I'm, I'm all on board for that. Do it now, man, because it's yeah. it's you know, the the J and J immunity is much lower than the others, and yeah. and you want yeah. that. I'm actually hoping to be able to get a third dose at some point, a booster. Yeah, that's the well, Pfizer that has the the booster, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if that right. hasn't been announced yet, but not yet, no. And it's it's a bit it's going to be a little while before I think we see the boosters. Now the thing about the J and J vaccine, in fact, the thing about this this whole Delta variant is that it's new. It takes time to learn about it. Science is is mobilized to try to figure it out, but it it takes time. We really don't know exactly how this is all going to play out. Just like we did it in the beginning of the uh, of the pandemic with with you know COVID and the original variant. It, it, it takes time. So we do, we're starting to realize that it is a little bit more challenging to the vaccines. Now, the mRNA vaccines seem to hold up pretty well. Uh, they have decreased a little bit, but they're still pretty effective. Uh, and But the other vaccines, like the AstraZeneca and the J&J, seem to be struggling a little bit more right now from the data that we're seeing. Yeah, I didn't get a choice when I got shot. Yeah. what they gave me. Well, well I, I'll tell you from the beginning, I've had my money on the mRNA because it's just such a it's a it's such a different technology. Yeah, yeah, it's it's an amazing technology. You know, they're working on now using that same technology for flu vaccines, right? That's just that would be incredible because flu, flu vaccines are not all that effective. Sometimes there are some years which they just kind of fail. And by the way, I'm thinking about when I heard that, I'm thinking about actually, because I haven't been a person who has normally taken the flu vaccine because I just didn't feel like I was at risk. But um, I'm getting my flu shot every year from now on. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully M mRNA. It's not a bad idea. Even if you're healthy. Yeah. Um, now, the other problem is that testing has gone way down in the United States. Um, the along with the vaccination rates like the it's they're all going down as mandates are easing as mask wearing is is not being used anymore um the american academy of pediatrics is advocating for masks for all children over the age of two now which is not the same as the cdc they're not doing that yeah. and so there's a little bit of controversy going on within the science community about this let me show you this chart here this really tells it all here so you can see that vaccinations per day peaked in April to about a little over 3 million, three and a half million. And now they're down to about half a million. I mean, it's plummeted. And now this, uh, this may not include the last few days 
I've heard that in the last week or so, it's been a slight bump, but we we have a long, this is just unacceptable. This is just a tragedy that we've, you know, we were doing so extremely well. And then we started to hit the intransigent people, you know, and this is what happened. Well, it's insane because when you, th- there are people right now who are actively working to undermine the vaccination strategy of the Biden administration. And it's become a political cultural issue. It's become yeah. the political cultural issue at this point, other than like critical race theory. But you know, this, it's those two things, right? If you're a Republican, you don't want to get vaccinated and you want, and, and you, and you want to get critical race theory out of schools. That's, those are the top issues at the moment. And that's what Fox is hammering on every day, hundreds of times. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's public health sabotage. Yeah, it's like the it old is. adage, you know, I don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people. Yeah. 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 I mean, it is, it is a collective problem. And we need to understand that as a populace. And a large chunk of Americans just simply don't. Well, and also it's a money thing too, right? I mean, we we spent trillions of dollars to keep businesses open and to help, you know, the airlines got tens of billions of dollars. I mean, all of this. And if, if, if businesses have to shut down again, that means the government has to spend even more money and all the money that would otherwise have gone into infrastructure and really helping us, you know, build back better, as Biden says, now is going to have to go into more stimulus, more aid for businesses. And I mean, how long can that go on? Right. Yeah. yeah but these people don't have that level of like foresight, you know, they just see it all about themselves and wanting to just do whatever it is they want to do and not be inconvenienced in the slightest or care about anybody else. And it's yeah. sad and it's frustrating for those of us who get it and actually do care and actually do want to see this end and actually do want to see infection rates go down, even in the red states, even though we're not too keen on many of those people. We don't want to see them suffer and die at the hands of this virus, you know? Right. It's, it, it, it's human beings, but it's just at a certain point where you just have to just, you know... It would be one thing like I see, you see all this social media stuff floating around about Darwin Awards and people who are unvaccinated. But it's like it would be one thing if they were just, you know, jumping off a bridge and killing themselves. Right. But in this situation, by not getting vaccinated, they're killing others. And so yeah. it's not I can't be happy about it. Yeah. As Joe said, they're, they, you know, they're each a, a little laboratory for the, for the virus. Yeah. So it's like you can't just be like, well, they're all just going to, you know, all kill each other because they're not getting vaccinated. And no sweat off my back. Well, no, it's not that simple. It I isn't. wish it was, but it's not. No, and they're actually, you know, exposing their own children because they're, they're getting the virus and bringing it back to their family and their children. There is no vaccines for young children right now. Yeah, so, and unmasked kids are going to be going to school yeah. soon and then they're going to be bringing it home. It's just like, it's, and, and Joe, you had mentioned something we were talking before the show about the absolute virulence of this of yeah. this Delta variant. You uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, why are we having these increases all over the world? Did, because all right, so remember at the start of the pandemic, uh, we talked about herd immunity a lot and the mm-hmm. threshold. We didn't know exactly what it was. Maybe sixty percent, maybe seventy percent. If you get that many people that were exposed. To had antibodies, then it would naturally just die down. Mm-hmm. Um, not the case here. This uh, there was a large international study. I think mostly Chinese, but by dozens of researchers, you know, a really big study that found that 
People who are infected release a thousand times more virus particle in the air, in the environment, in the, with a Delta variant than they did with the original variant, a thousand times more. This is one of the most uh, infectious agents known to medical science right now. It is really, this Delta variant is really nasty. It's um, also what it's doing, it causes people to get infected sooner. So instead of taking, taking seven days, it might take only four days on average to, to get sick once you're infected. And, um, you know, Gregory Poland of the Mayo Clinic, uh, he's a top expert. Uh, he said, quote, this virus will find everybody who is not immune. And I think he's right. And here's the thing to consider. You know, if you factor out everybody who's gotten sick or who's been vaccinated, that still leaves 100 million Americans that are completely vulnerable to this disease. Yeah, that's devastating. And yeah. frightening. Now, if you don't want to look at this chart here, it shows what the Delta variant has done since in the last months. As you can, like you said, Sean, it would look, it was looking really good in places like the United States and, and Germany and so forth. And then all of a sudden, starting in, in the spring, the, the, the cases just shot up, you know, at sort of a, um, uh, out, you know, geometric level. You can see by this chart, just skyrocketing cases. Mm -hmm. And the only, the, only, the only example here is Canada that hasn't done that. And Canada happens to be the country that has the highest rate of people who are vaccinated in the world right now. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, what's interesting to see also is you're talking about all this mass death in India and you're, you see that it, you know, it hit that 100% mark before anybody else. And then right. after that was, what is it, the UK is there? And we're just a few weeks, it looks like, behind the UK. So we're, we're going to hit a tough road here pretty soon. Yeah, so specifically, this chart shows the share of people who are infected by which variant. And so right now, pretty much the Delta variant has dominated all the other variants around the world very, very quickly. Yeah. So again, the vaccines, it's tough because... You don't want to give people the impression that the vaccines are not effective. So you don't want to talk about the fact that they're, that they're a little bit less effective. But think about it. You know, when, when we first were working on vaccines, we were all hoping that they would be 60, 70 percent effective. That would have been great. They yeah. turned out to be 90, 95 percent effective. Right. So even though they're down to uh, right now, I think the mRNA vaccines, two doses are 88 percent effective. So it's still really pretty damn good, right? It's not as good as it was. It was up to 95% but, or even higher. But Yeah, but you know what? I wanted to mention something that a lot of people aren't thinking about when they, when they uh, the idea of these breakthrough cases, because there are some, there increasingly there are more breakthrough cases and then people are saying, well, the vaccine doesn't work. That's not true. If you get COVID, whether it's the original or Delta, okay, you are going to get less sick. You're going to have less of a chance of even having to go to the hospital, almost a, a very low chance of being intubated, right? And, 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 and an even lower chance of death. I mean, it is, it is a lifesaver. I don't, I don't know what the statistical odds are, but you're probably, if I had to guess, it would be like, you're probably 99% less likely to die, even if you get it, you know, something like that. It's a very, very uh, effective yeah. therapy even. That's even, a great uh, point, Sean. I think you're right. I think it's really quite 
quite uh, almost not 100%, but very close to that, that it, it really stops people from dying. And frees up beds for, for patients who are yeah. sicker. Yeah, I mean, why, I don't, I mean, part of me under, understands like, no, people don't like getting shots, you know, nobody likes getting shots, but it, it, it's just something that everyone who is able to do has to do. And if we're going to get past this. Well, I mean, I mean I was going to say, honestly, I mean, just getting the experience of getting my shot, it was so like minor. Yeah. The pain same. was so minor. And, and even the side effects, like, you know, I, I'm not going to lie. The second one, you know, I felt crappy this, the, the day after I felt really crappy, but it wasn't even as bad as like being home with a bad cold. Right. It was just a little disoriented, feeling a little weird. That was all it was. And it's something that, I mean, compared to the yeah, just it, disaster, you know, yeah, it's minimal. What? Well, you know, Drew, it's, it's a lot, you probably know this, there's a lot of misinformation, right? So people are acting upon that misinformation. They think that the mRNA vaccines are changing your DNA. It's a brand new technology that's not proven, that's dangerous, that it hasn't been tested. All, you the know, not bots. true. Yeah, the yeah. nanobots. <laughs> All of that. The microchips. So, <laughs> yeah. so, you know, the, the sources that are pushing these this misinformation are doing a great disservice to humanity, you know, because people buy it. it it's pretty miraculous that you're, there's no killed virus in this vaccine, that it's literally almost like it's like sticking a USB drive into, into your cell and downloading information and then it goes away. Yeah, that's what it is. I mean, if you want to talk about a microchip, it, it, it conceptually, it is data that's being downloaded into your cell. Right. Absolutely. And then the me the messenger goes away after it's finished doing its work. Yeah, I mean that's the whole point. The body builds antibodies and and gets rid of the messenger as well as the, any you know that's how it builds the antibodies. Yeah. yeah so like, I mean, remember that time you got polio? No, that's no your right. parents got you vaccinated. Right. <laughs> <laughs> now, if we had this level of resistance during that time, we probably would never have gotten rid of polio. No. Well, you know, and a polio is a, is a, it's a scarier disease because you see people coming out of there who are maimed. Right. Oh, and weird. COVID you're either, you either, you either recover or you die, you know, kind of thing. But with polio and people were walking around with, you know, I, I knew somebody when I was growing up who had a limp because she had polio. Yeah. Well, there is a long COVID thing, which is, it does affect some people, but generally speaking, yeah. Yeah. So I want to, um, kind of also just mentioned real before we move on um, that there's a parallel between the pandemic, the resistance to it, the misinformation and all of that and climate change, right? We've, what we're seeing here playing out in the pandemic has been playing out with the climate change issue for decades. And it's the same kind of thing, right? We've talked about this in the show before. And so the uh, one thing I do want to just let people know is that there is a really truly important IPCC report coming out next month and it's going to shape the um, the, the discourse at the Glasgow Scotland conference where the world leaders are all going to gather to talk about fighting climate change and to me right this it may be the probably the most consequential report in human history because it we are at the 11th hour with this, 
with climate change. There is not much time left to deal with it. There really isn't. And so keep an eye out and we'll be talking about it more. For sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it all ties in, I think, with secularism and COVID and climate change. And it all relates back to, you know, just a, a, a unwillingness to accept science and the scientific process. You know, this right. country used to celebrate science. You know, we're the country that went to the moon and, and whatnot. But once science started disproving certain popular superstitions, it, it became less popular. And we're seeing the fallout of that both in with, uh, with the COVID Delta variant and all of the fallout from all of this, and, and as well as the climate change, change situation and you know the heat waves and, and all of that, it all stems back to not being willing to accept scientific evidence that contradicts your previously held ideas about the world. And that's right. secularism as well. And on the systemic level, this is exactly what happens with totalitarianism, fascism, any kind of, you know, a, power movement like movement like that you've got to systemically and systematically eradicate the experts in order to push your own version of truth so you know to gain power and this is what we're seeing yeah and also i i think that some people who might not uh, have watched a lot of our show might not understand why we call ourselves the radical secular and we talk so much about politics but it is be this is the connection i'm glad you brought that up drew because going back to the scopes monkey trial and the controversy over creationism and evolution that is the point at which secularism and and science pretty much like became irrevocably merged and and we have to now i mean because because religion and anti-science merged Right. And so so secularism now becomes let's make policy that is not only uh, doesn't favor any given religion, but also accepts science. You have that those two things go together. You cannot separate them. And so that brings us also to the level then of talking about human rights, equality, social justice. All of these things all flow from wanting to have uh, systems that create the best outcomes and wanting to use science as a guide to that. And that right. flies in the face of people who like to, you know, they, they want to base the rules on their culture or their gods or just other th feelings over facts kind of, kind of thing. And I think that there's, there's just really been a great, a great separation. And, and even in terms of the decline of, religious observance and, and church attendance that's happened even in the last 20 or 30 years, that has driven the, the, the division in the country just as much as the race thing. I mean, it's all part of the same deal. Right. Yeah. And it's playing out in the resistance movement against uh, vaccines and mask wearing. It's playing out with climate change. It's playing out with critical race theory. It's playing out with, with, you know, the healthcare system and, and universal uh, healthcare, it's playing out with just about every major issue. That contention is right there in the center of it all. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're anti-vax, you might not be religious, but you're definitely not secular. <laughs> and you definitely don't believe in science. So we could be talking about this all night. I mean, there's so much more we could say about the vaccine and, and the pandemic issue and so forth. But, you know, let's let's go ahead and, and switch gears a bit. Drew, you had some things you wanted to mention. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I really am not a fan 
of Rand Paul in particular. I mean, I'm not a fan of anyone in the GOP, but I've just got a special place in my heart for that horrible man and his horrible hair. Um, I got a special place in my heart for his neighbor. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, for sure. Give that man a medal, right? Um, but no, I'm sure uh, many of our listeners, I'm sure you guys saw uh, that Fauci had another spat with uh, Rand Paul. And <sighs> every time I, I think it's like the fourth or fifth time this has happened. And every time I see these exchanges, I, I, I'm just baffled at why this is even going on. You know, uh, why is why is this man being taken so seriously by so many people and still getting elected and still saying these crazy things to this honorable man who served in multiple administrations as an esteemed career, uh, an academic, a scientist, a, a, a servant of the public health. And this little weasel just tries to, to, you know, play this gotcha game with him. And yet Fauci plays it cool and shuts him down. I mean, I love seeing that part of it, but mm. it just frustrates me that this discussion even has to be had. And I just really, really, really strongly dislike Rand Paul and his father for that matter. Oh, they're both terrible. Yeah. But what's interesting about the whole thing is that, um, you know, Fauci is a national fucking hero. Yeah. And Fauci was involved in the original effort against HIV. That's how long he's been around. That's yeah. how long he's been doing this. He, he is the unquestioned expert. And it's like Rand Paul isn't fit to shine his shoes. And he sat there and he started out the questioning by asking him if he, if he wanted to retract an earlier statement because, you know, Dr. Fauci, this is a, you, you know what the penalties are for lying to Congress, right? He, he's like literally accusing him of being a criminal right off the bat. Yeah. And, and Fauci plays it super cool every time, you know, he, yeah. does, he doesn't insult anyone. He's just lays it out like, no, you are incorrect. Yeah. But he, but he did get a little, I mean, his finger was shaking. He's like, I resent yeah. that. I mean, he really, he actually got a little amped up this time. And I was glad to see it because I'm so tired of Democrats just, just rolling over and letting these people walk all over us and not getting angry and not calling them to task for it. I mean, it, it was, I think that, um, Fauci has, is, he's so genteel and he's got so much decorum that for him, I mean, he might as well have been screaming. Okay. Right. Well, like you said, Sean, he's a national hero. There you go. That's a lot of the answer to why he's being attacked, right? He's a threat because he's representing exactly what we were talking about a few minutes ago with secularism and science. And, and it is, it is this, this, you know, this conflict that's been happening in our society that's, that's augmenting now. And which this is what we're seeing. It's another front in that war. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I heard him on MSNBC either earlier today or yesterday giving an interview and saying that he never said anything negative about Donald Trump or the, you know, the, the Trump administration. Nothing he ever said was to, you know, impugn them necessarily. He was just speaking the truth and they didn't like it. It wasn't politically convenient for them to admit that there was a problem. You know, Donald Trump wanted to go out there and say he was the biggest, greatest, most fantastic president ever. And if he can't do that, if there's a problem, then. He can't sell his brand. And that's all it was about. Um, that's why he was pushing all of his miracle cures and all the bullshit, you know? Yeah, but he did do the Fauci facepalm, though, which was awesome. <laughs> I loved that. 
Because you, that's the only way, I mean, what could he do? He, can you imagine being in his position of having the knowledge that he had in the experience and watching this president get up there in the, in the White House press room and say the things he was saying? I mean, it's, it's amazing that he only did this. <laughs> I yeah. know. Yeah. Hydrochloroquine and then inject disinfectant. And I mean, the list yeah. goes on. I mean, it's so, it's just so out there what what happened it's so crazy that people almost got numb to it in a way you know trump would say his craziness and people like yeah that's just trump saying it's shit and and that was the end of that but he's the president right he was the president and again i mean the problem ultimately to all of this is it has to be consequences for the damage that has been caused there really does well this is the issue It's the issue with, like you were saying, with with fascism. Fascism has to discredit all the experts, and then it presents everyone, all the professionals, right? Because Fauci's there. He doesn't want to get fired. If he gets fired, then the nation suffers, right? And the same thing with Burks. I mean, Burks was there. She got thrown under a bus, and she kind of, in a way, like she kind of waffled and said a few things that were that were favorable to the administration. Because what's the alternative? You get all the experts fired, you know. So this is the the dilemma that when you have a fascist takeover, which really centers around information. Information. It centers it I mean, it, more more so than jackboots and thugs and all the rest of it that goes along with it. It, it starts with the information, and and that is why you know get the courts, get the media, get academia, and and under your control, and you can pretty much do anything. Absolutely, that's a great point. Yeah, it's a, it's a, a broader uh, distrust in institutions and systems that is problematic in America, and it, it's reflective in our culture and in our films. You know, if you think about every you know, popular culture, you know, film, it's all about, you know, the, the little guy standing up to this big, bad, evil, tyrannical government. Right. You know? the, the then, David Brin, the suspicion of authority. That's he talks about this a lot in his in his blogs and things like that, that we've sort of poisoned, you know, generations of Americans to not trust our institutions with this uh, suspicion of authority thing. But on the other hand, there's another part, though, and that is that you watch all of these movies where there's a disaster that happens and at the beginning of the movie somebody isn't listening to the scientists so you get kind of <laughs> right. a double message there that's yeah. true they do show the you know it's like the mayor from jaws right <laughs> exactly the same i think the republican party has basically become you know we can't close the the shops we can't have a lockdown we can't have mask mandates that's fourth of july weekend like it's yeah. it's crazy. <laughs> precisely <laughs> you know yeah so the, the general overall distrust that has grown over the decades is a perfect fodder for fascism, right? Because then it can then these people, these demigods can navigate through that landscape very easily. And they can use all, that distrust to sell their, you know, narratives and their messages. And, that, that's, and then with, you know, obviously with these new technologies that allows people to bypass gatekeepers, and, you know, any schmuck can have the same or even more influence than the greatest scientists on the planet, essentially, in many ways, right? If they have the right, if they have, you know, enough viewership. And so it's a combination of many different factors that have led us to this point. But ultimately, it is about destroying the uh, legitimacy of experts that, uh, and systems in our society that have kept civilization going. Yeah, for sure. Well, and in in that regard, I want to I want to talk a little bit, if uh, if I can here. I have a, a a few things to present here in terms of news items this week. But the 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 first one is just to talk about the, you know, kind of how this vaccine refusal 
has spread through not only information, but and even before the pandemic, I have a graphic here that I want to put up. And that is starting in 2000, we started to see uh, anti-vax sentiment. And this, this particular example is California, but it's going on all across the country. 2000, we started to see it. And then by 2007, it had grown. 2013, it had grown even more. And you can look at this and it looks exactly like a diagram that you would see of the spread of a pandemic. And this was all spread through information. So we're seeing that before COVID, we had this infodemic that had been spreading for years and years and years to sort of seed the field with this vaccine skepticism and vaccine refusal. And this chart that I'm showing here is the number of preschoolers who had uh, a personal belief vaccine exemption based on the personal belief of their parents. Now, I think now California has done away with the personal belief exemption, but at that time they were allowing it. And so you saw this thing spread to infect, you know, a large portion of the state, uh, even in liberal areas. I mean, we're talking, you know, Santa Monica, right? Uh, you got you got a, a hotbed of of parents who don't want their to get their kids vaccinated, and these are liberals. So, this is not a partisan thing. So, um, you know, and and I remember I was. <laughs> I was actually looking at the same diagram like five years ago. I was writing a chapter for 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 a book that I probably will never publish, but maybe I will. <laughs> and and it was a chapter on vaccine denial. And and I was using the example in my book of Robert De Niro because he had recently come on TV and kind of endorsed vaccine skepticism. Now I I like Robert De Niro, but this is this was so beyond irresponsible. And anyone who parrots these this stuff is is killing people literally. And so um, I was just disgusted with him. And I've had this just creeping sense of dread ever since that that interview that this thing was out of control. And, and, now, and now exactly what I feared has happened because we've got Tucker Carlson, we've got, you know, mainstream Republican politicians, state governors who are who are, are, are putting out these mixed messages. And, you know, where is this disconnect when it comes to, to people refusing to understand that this is not an individual decision? When a parent doesn't vaccinate their child, they're endangering other children. When an adult doesn't go get the COVID vax, that decision could kill someone else. So it's not even so much about the pandemic. It's about what you were saying earlier, Joe, about the, uh, the violating the social contract. What are the boundaries of what we consider to be socially acceptable beliefs? Do these boundaries now include spreading lies and viruses with no accountability? I used to worry about things like religion and creationism and right-wing conspiracies, uh, as we were just talking about, or lack of proper sex education. Those things were bad enough, but now these lies are just slaughtering people. Uh, Are we just doomed? Are are we doomed? Both of you, do you think that um, we have to just continue to let people believe whatever they want to believe? Or do you think (laughs) that there's, it's possible within a democracy to come up with some kind of longer term solution for this? Because I don't see it going away. Well, I think organically, our democracy, you know, and democracies around the world did develop systems to be able to sort of weed out the crazy, right? Even the, even the media, right? They, they, they had gatekeepers, they had editors and, and all that. And that really, it wasn't perfect. It was obviously, but it did manage this problem to a certain extent. So it wasn't as bad as it is now. But since talk radio and then and then, you know, cable and then the Internet and so forth, all of a sudden you've had this multiplicity of voices 
that can say anything without any checks. There's no checks at all, no accountability for making false statements that are harmful. And it's just exploded since then. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, you, you touched on it, Joe. I, I blame the internet. Personally. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the internet allowed for the people who were generally on the fringe to all find each other and amplify yeah. each other's bullshit. That's, that's what I believe. Um, there was, there was a documentary that aired recently on HBO called Q into the storm. Mm-hmm. It was dissecting the QAnon phenomenon. And it was alarming to see how this stuff can spread and how many people believe such garbage just because they read it on their computer screen. You yeah. I mean, you had conspiracies, you had, you know, the moon landing weirdos, the JFK weirdos, whatever. And no one really paid them much mind because they didn't really have a political party that was amplifying them. And they didn't have the reach that they had with the internet. Um, so that's, yeah. that's what I blame above those other, I mean, yes, right wing talk radio is a problem, you know, and, and people like Tucker Carlson are a problem. Absolutely. Fox news is a problem. But for me, I think the internet for all that it's given us, it really is a double edged sword. And so where does that leave us in like 20 years? I mean, because you can see where we've come in the last 20 years and in, in 20 years from now, I mean, this stuff's going to be, we won't even have devices. They'll, it, it will have implants. We'll have, I mean, uh, we'll have augmented reality that the, the internet is going to be projected over our vision as we walk around and drive around the world. And so like how much of this is just going to erase our connection to reality? I do again, like, Please help me out. Tell me this. Tell me if there's something that's going to fix this, right? <laughs> I mean, I, th- well, I think I think the election of Biden was a beacon of hope in all of this. You know, I mean, people got tired of the bullshit. You know, at least a, a, a substantial portion of them. You know, a lot of them are still buying it, which is alarming. But you know, uh, it's kind of like how we get frustrated with the far left for insisting upon all of the change now instead of being willing to handle things incrementally. Like I think that's what the Biden election is, is an incremental change in the right direction. I hope that's, that's, that's the the best I can do right now. (laughs) Well, I think if democracies don't figure out a way to manage this, then there won't be democracies. I think, I, I don't think democracies can last with this kind of onslaught of misinformation. It's just like, you know, like sometimes you introduce democracies in a country that's very religious and they vote, they vote democracy out for theocracy, yeah, right? It's just like, this, this is the same thing here. People will vote themselves out of democracy because they're getting these crazy ideas. They're getting these, these conspiracies. And so it's, if the problem is not solved within the context of a democratic system, then we're going to see dictatorships. I think it's as simple as that. And then the dictatorships will deal with it by suppressing it directly. Right. They'll suppress anything. They'll suppress science. They'll suppress anything that yeah, doesn't support whatever. their view. So, yeah. so now the crazy is in charge. I mean, we, we would see Trump administration times 10, right? The c- crazy is completely in charge. All the courts, all the legislatures taken over by, by this. And so um, I, I do think that there is a, a, a threshold though. And we saw that this week uh, with when it gets bad enough, when things get bad enough, Republicans have to acknowledge it. And we saw this Republican governor in the deep South in Alabama, Governor Kay Ivey, she said, quote, this week, it's time to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. 
It's the unvaccinated folks that are letting us down, end quote. And so that's like a big deal because Kay Ivey has been uh, a nutcase and she's signed some horrible legislation in Alabama. And and in, in her state, less than 34% of the population has been fully vaccinated. Nearly 500,000 people only remain partially vaccinated. So, uh, and this is a place at the uh, Grandview Medical Center in Birmingham. Uh, this doctor, Brittany Cobia, uh, said on Facebook that numerous young, healthy people have been admitted to the hospital with very serious COVID infections. And one of the last things they do before they're intubated is beg me for the vaccine. I hold their hand and tell them that I'm sorry, but it's too late, she wrote. So these things, death and destruction eventually changes the conservative mind. But at that point, too late, right? Yeah, I mean, ideas have consequences, you know? This is why I'm not a hardcore First Amendment person, you know? I think Mm -hmm. the amendment needs you know, guidelines in the way that the second amendment also probably needs some guidelines. You know, I don't think you, you know, forget fire in a crowded theater. How about screaming? Don't get vaccinated to millions of people through social media. Yeah. That's way worse. (laughs) Well, we misunderstand the notion of freedom. Now we don't understand it the way it was actually structured in the enlightenment where it's really about freedom is really uh, tied very deeply with responsibility and consequence in the enlightenment philosophers and libertarianism has just said fuck all that we're just we're just free period no matter what and that doesn't work it's it's very destructive we have to have uh functioning societies and that means balancing right uh freedom with responsibility and if you don't do that then there are consequences you can call that censorship you can call that whatever you want but it is part of the social contract it's part of our classic liberal philosophy. It's part of what we try to do. The world tried to do, in, not perfectly, but tried to do in, in creating these democracies. Well, it's interesting, too, because you have legal consequences, which you know we don't have enough of in this country, but there's also natural consequences. And like yeah. what changed Governor Kay Ivey's mind, and there's another one. It's, I, I get real sh- schadenfreude from this. I mean, I, I I can't help it. But there's a there's a conservative radio host. Okay, this is a guy. His name is Phil Valentine, and he's repeatedly made posts on social media platforms telling his fans that if they weren't at risk for COVID, they shouldn't get the vaccine. Now, who's not at risk for COVID? I don't, I don't get this. Like, who 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 do they think is not at risk? And you know, this guy this guy went even above and beyond that. Three months ago, he tried to draw comparisons between hospital workers who had to indicate their COVID-19 vaccination status on their badges with Jews forced to wear yellow stars in Nazi Germany. I mean, you know, uh, and so. <laughs> That's a Marjorie Taylor Greene bullshit right there. Like. Is it, it is. And then he wrote and performed a, so- a song called Vax Man on, on his show. And, uh, well, ding dong, he's got COVID. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. can you imagine like if a surgeon refused to tell, you know, the patient whether or not he, uh, he washed his hands before the operation? <laughs> it's like well, that actually happened. I mean, I don't know if you know the story of Semmelweis. There was a there was a guy and um, he he was trying to get doctors to wash their hands and the same damn thing happened. Yeah. And he got ultimately put in a mental institution 
because he made a big deal. He was telling doctors they were killing hmm. people wow. by not washing their hands. And dude ends up in a mental institution because the doctors felt that he had insulted them. I mean, it's just remind, isn't this totally the same as anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers, yeah. right? Yeah, it is. Pretty much. Same dynamic. Now, honestly, I understand the logic of being concerned about a brand new technology that was was rushed in an emergency. And, and then that gets amplified by all the lies, right? Yeah. But, you know, then you shut off reason because you can go ahead and look at the evidence and see. This technology has been worked on for, what, 10, 15 years already? It's not like it's brand new. mRNA technology is not a brand new thing. It's been, it's been researched for a long, long time. We know uh, the mechanisms behind introducing uh, strand uh, RNA information, as you said, Sean, it's information. We know how that works. And, and it was, there's been like a half a billion people vaccinated now. Yeah, it's the been, it, we've, we've run the experiment. I mean, people are fine, right? So, um, <laughs> so uh, I said, well, in the long term, yes, but that is a huge hypothetical compared to the reality of COVID that's here and now and killing millions of people, right? Well, I this mean, is the thing. This is the thing. Okay, so so he, this radio host, Phil Valentine, is now in the hospital. Uh, here's a statement from his family. Uh, from July 23rd, which is uh, the day that we're recording the show. His family says, Phil contracted the COVID virus a little over a week ago and has since been hospitalized and is in very serious condition, suffering from COVID pneumonia and the attendant side effects, the family statement reads, which emphasizes that Valentine has never been an anti-vaxxer. Really? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's some bullshit right there. But anyway, so it continues, Phil regrets not being more vehemently pro-vaccine and looks forward to be able, being able to more vigorously advocate that position as soon as he is back on the air, which we all hope will be soon. Now, okay, I vacillate between the idea of saying that this, like, this guy should die of COVID because it would serve him right, and then also saying, I want him back on the air so he can tell the conservatives to get vaccinated, right? I mean, how do you... I look at this and it's like, okay, is this a redemption story? No, it's not a redemption story because he didn't do anything until it happened to him. Right. And so that still means that even if he gets back on the air and tells conservatives to get vaccinated, he's still a despicable human being because this is the problem with conservatism. Okay. Climate, uh, vaccines, poverty, drug abuse. I mean, it's like the, 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 the crack epidemic when it was only affecting black people no, the white people didn't care. But then when the opioid crisis came along and now white people are dying, all, all of a sudden they're all about it, right? And this is what we see repeatedly, repeatedly with conservatives. Yeah, I remember during the uh, Bush administration, Bush two, when there was all that controversy about waterboarding mm -hmm. and some conservative talk show guy got himself waterboarded to prove that it was no big deal. And he freaked out. It was horrible. And he admitted he was wrong. And it was Christopher Hitchens. Yeah, was it? Was it? Yeah, him? it really? Yeah. It was Christopher yeah. Hitchens. He did that, and he and afterwards he was like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> it's like I, I liked him. Didn't always agree with him, but I liked. Him. Yeah, no, he was he was he was good. I mean, he was a great secularist and uh, and a great intellectual, but he was yeah. wrong on that point. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, this is always the case, but again, then then these people are summarily dismissed by the tribe, right? They, you know, you break the the purity codes and you're out. Right. That's the problem. 
Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's it, you know, uh, it becomes, it becomes this tribal marker and, and yeah. it doesn't matter what the truth is until it changes. Right. Because we all know that everybody who works at Fox news is vaccinated. We know that we know that they, that they are checking on their vaccination status. We know they're probably not letting them into the building. I mean, I, I worked at Fox and security is very tight there. Okay. So, yeah. you know, it's like, I just don't, I, the idea that these guys would be unvaccinated and exposing people not going to happen. They don't want to be shut down. They don't want their whole newsroom to be shut down. So yeah, it's just, it's hypocrisy. And, um, speaking of hypocrisy, uh, Biden got a lot of flack, you know, over at, over at Fox for his town hall, but I, I wanted to talk about the town hall a little bit, if that's, if that's all right with you, Joe. Sure. Sure. Um, I think, uh, first of all, there, there, there was good and bad with the town hall. And I want, I want to take the, the good first, because, uh, I think that there was a lot of good. He, he exuded confidence and competence. It's nice to see that we have a president who cares, who's in charge, has an extremely firm grasp on how good government is supposed to work, how to make it work. He's reliable. He's humble. He's relatable, connects with the audience. And it was clear that he genuinely cares about Americans. Even the Republicans who were asking him questions, he was very nice and very kind to them. And uh, he's still extending that olive branch to Republicans, even after they've been merciless to him. So, mm -hmm. um, and he made it a point also to give credit to his administration, saying things like my team, my administration, even at one point he said, I'm not doing this on my own. I work with a lot of great people. It's the precise opposite of the, I alone can fix it style of his predecessor. It's just, it, it, I mean, I don't even want to say the guy's name when I say predecessor because yeah. I'm so sick of him. Um, but the most profound segment of the town hall was when Don Lemon asked him to talk about his experience of being president. And he just dazzled with his humility and acknowledging the great weight of the responsibility, what a privilege it is to be an American president, what he referred to several times as a leader of the free world. He says he's slightly embarrassed when he walks into a room and hears hail to the chief. Can you imagine? <laughs> you know, I think that he will be remembered for this humble, effusive tone for a long time. I think it's becoming a hallmark of his presidency. What did you yeah, guys think? Yeah, I agree. I, I think I, I'm online with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think his, his you know, when he, Biden's at his best, you know, his humanity and his connection with people really shines through. You know, yes, he, he has a stutter. Yes, he fumbles and mixes up words sometimes. Yes, he repeats little phrases like, you know, uh, he's, he's got flaws. We're all human, you know, but, but he's a good human being. And that's a hell of a lot more than I can say about his predecessor. Or anyone in the Republican Party right now, for that matter. Yeah, well, and this is what I was going to say because this is this is getting to the to the bad part of the town hall because you know each one of these things. It's like whenever in a big event in a presidency happens, it's like you know the, you got the scoreboard and you have everybody's scoring it and everybody's reacting to it and and you get all these hot takes. But he really did. I was really kind of bummed out because he must have said, "I'm not kidding around" or "I'm not joking" or "Seriously, folks." 50 or 75 times during the course of that hour. I mean, it, it just, and several times he kind of seemed to fumble for an idea or say the opposite of what he meant. Um, he fudged a bunch of important numbers and facts that, uh, but <laughs> these are all good faith mistakes. It's not like he's deliberately right. trying to mislead anyone. He just didn't remember and he didn't have the, didn't have his note card in front of him, you know? <laughs> Uh, no one can keep all those kind of statistics in their head. It's hard enough to keep things accurate on a podcast, as we know, let alone in front of an audience asking 
wide-ranging questions on national television. I, I know the president's almost- it's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure. And he's almost 80, right? right? So you think about it, he's doing great. But the Republican sharks are still circling. And um, they, they I, I don't even want to say all of these stupid hot takes that came from the right. But, um, you know, we can't have yeah. any hint of that going on for 22. And, you know, overall, I give him a pass. But it's definitely a weakness that we have to be aware of. Yeah, the right, the right uh, smells blood in the water on this stuff. You know, they're going to hone in on it and they're going to amplify it any little thing they can, because the way they see it, you know, we went after Trump, even though we were justified in doing so because he was a fucking criminal. Right. They're like, well, you tried to destroy our president, so we're going to destroy yours. And they will amplify this stuff as trivial and as, you know, facile as a comparison that may be. Uh, that's how that's how they're going to roll. That's how they roll. I mean, they've been doing it for a long, long time. And, you know, look at what they did to Hillary when she was, uh, you know, put in charge of health care. I mean, they just terrible. They just vicious eviscerated her. (laughs) And Um, the thing is, I mean, it's 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 a plan. It's 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 controlling the narrative. It's not coincidental. It's it's really a strategy on their part to do this. Well, and they're telling people how to feel, right? Because even if a conservative would watch that gun, you know, yeah, I mean, Biden was pretty good there. They turn on their TV and pretty soon he's just murdered and slaughtered, you know, with just stroke after stroke after attack after, you know, and and then suddenly they can't they don't even get to have their own opinion about it. They can, if, if, right. if anybody was thinking about coming around and and maybe listening, it's like, yeah, you know, we got a, we got a pretty good president. That's just over as soon as you, just, as soon as you turn on that Fox News. <laughs> yeah, this is one for conservative. Any of them are listening right now, or Christian conservatives. If uh, you know Fox News reporter watched Jesus walk on water, their headline the next day would be Jesus doesn't know how to swim. Pretty much, pretty much. That's funny. <laughs> well, I-, I wanted to talk about one of the other thing that happened, at, and I'm going to go into a kind of a, of a digression here a little bit uh, because. Biden was asked a question about the filibuster and surprisingly, he actually said that he did not want to eliminate the filibuster and which is, which is ironic because it's pretty clear that the filibuster is going to place severe limits on what this president can accomplish. And first of all, I think we really have to talk about what the filibuster is because a lot of people, the word keeps coming up and it keeps being mentioned and it's going around, but I'm not sure that a lot of people really understand the seriousness of this. Yeah, uh, please do. Yeah. The filibuster is not in the Constitution, okay? And yet it has affected our country dramatically for centuries. And so everybody needs to understand what this is. It is it is a part of self-created Senate rules, Okay, and what it requires is a supermajority of the Senate of 60 votes for any measure to close off debate and go to a vote. So what that means is even if you have more than half of the Senate that wants a bill, if you don't get 60, the bill doesn't even get voted on. All right. So in absence of a supermajority, that floor debate continues indefinitely, which can be used to run out the clock on the Senate calendar, which in practice just kills the bill uh, because the Senate had to move on to other business. And every parliamentary body has rules or nothing would get done. But the filibuster is a rule that has pushed our system of government dramatically away from majority rule and toward minority control. 
And so we have to understand a little bit of the history. Yeah. The, the yeah. rule, it dates back to 1789 when Vice President Aaron Burr, yeah, he's the guy who shot Alexander Hamilton. He removed the rule that allowed senators to end debate by a simple majority. He said the rule was redundant. And it's unclear whether at that time he understood the implications of what he was doing. Because ironically, the guy he shot, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton, had railed against supermajority requirements in the Federalist Paper number 22. What Alexander Hamilton said was that to give a minority a negative upon the majority, which is always the case where more than a majority is requisite to a decision, is in its tendency to subject the sense of the greater number to that of the lesser. The necessity of unanimity in public bodies or of something approaching toward it has been founded upon a superposition that it would contribute to security. But its real operation is to embarrass the administration, to destroy the energy of the government, and to substitute the pleasure, caprice, or artifices of an insignificant, turbulent, or corrupt junto to the regular deliberations and decisions of a respectable majority, end quote. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> you know, that's quite a condemnation from Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. What yeah. do you guys think about that? Well, let me just um, mention a few of the things, specific things that the uh, filibuster has done recently in the last, I'd say, half century or so. Well, let's go back a little further. Like, so what, what did, did the filibuster kill? Well, in 1890, it killed the federal elections bill that would have uh, the aim of the bill was to ensure that black men in the South were able to vote in elections. The filibuster killed that bill after, after a week of filibustering. The dire anti-lynching bill in 1922, 1923, and 1924 came up several times, never made into law because it was filibustered each time. These are all of the things that really led to, uh, you know, the, the terror against African Americans in the South during that time. Yeah. Uh, in Who would vote against an anti-lynching bill? I mean, I it's insane, right? Again, 1934, another anti-lynching bill was filibustered away. Uh, 1938, again, another anti-lynching bill. So several, many of them. Anti-poll taxes, you know, the, 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 you know the, the, what was really stopping a lot of African-Americans from voting, filibustered away, no law, right? Mm -hmm. Even some of the, the ones that did pass, like the Civil Rights Act of 1957 and 1964, they barely made it past the filibuster, right? They, they were filibustered unsuccessfully. Um, so it has had, like you said, Sean, incredible consequences in our history and in social justice. Well, and okay, it's, it's, so it's like, I want to I wanna talk about um, how it started to be used in this way, because again, it was just a procedural rule. It was not meant to completely hijack the government. And so its first use was in 1837, and it was used to prevent allies of Andrew Jackson from expunging a resolution of censure. Okay. Which is, I mean, that's not a big, censure doesn't really do anything, right? Because that's not a really consequential uh, right. thing there. But from 1917 to 1969, as you mentioned, uh, the filibuster was used to block anti-lynching bills, uh, uh, anti-poll tax bills, and a lot of other reforms that would have that would have really improved civil rights for, for black Americans. Uh, and it was also though, okay, people may not realize this, it was, it blocked the ratification of the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. It blocked the 
creation of a Fair Employment Practice Committee in 1946. And even though the Civil Rights Act of 1957 passed, it was severely watered down. Because of the filibuster, they had to change it and, and weaken it before the, before the filibuster could be ended. So it's really been a like a, like a bludgeon to just bludgeon any progress that, that could have happened in this country a century ago, okay? And it's still yeah. happening now. So, okay, 1949, the supermajority threshold in the Senate was raised to two-thirds or 66 votes. It was made even worse. Um, 1964, senators opposed to the Civil Rights Act, filibustered for 75 hours. But in the end, and this is important here, for that bill, they still had the talking filibuster, meaning that you actually had to, if you want to prevent a vote on a bill, you had to hold the floor the entire time. And so they did stupid shit like read the newspaper or a cookbook or crack jokes. It was it was a, just a complete circus, right? Um, they're supposed to be having a serious debate on policy, and they're just sitting up there reading the dictionary or whatever um, to avoid the issue. And so this is a a, a long standing and dastardly tradition in opposition to American democracy. Uh, so from 1970 forward, they, they set up what was they called a two-track system. And that would allow a bill that was, that was filibustered to be sidetracked so that the Senate could go on with their other business. So they weren't sitting there listening to these 75-hour speeches. And so this is what set up the modern routine use of the filibuster to kill bills because they could just sideline the bill and then it's out, doesn't get considered. And so the use of the tactic soared. Uh, as a result, in 1975, the supermajority was reduced back down to 60 votes. Currently, all Senate bills, with a couple of important exceptions, have to pass the 60-vote threshold in order to be considered. The talking filibuster is over. Either a bill gets 60 votes or it dies. And there's an exception to the 60-vote threshold for budgetary reconciliation bills which has allowed some important legislation to pass the Senate. It's really limited and narrow, and it can only be used once or twice a year. Other exceptions are for Trade Promotion Authority, Congressional Review Act, the National Emergencies Act, and the War Powers Resolution. Another exception was granted by a rules change in 2013, allowing confirmation of judges and Supreme Court justices to pass with 50 votes. Now, realize here that without that, we would not have gotten Trump's three judicial appointments onto the Supreme Court. The Democrats could have blocked that. So you see, it's been used against us. And then when it suited them, they dropped the requirement. Okay. So it's, it, it's just a, I, I can't even, I, it's hard for me to even talk about how bad this is. There's a chart here that shows you can see there in around 1970, when they got rid of the talking filibuster and they set up the two track system, it just the this just went nuts to the point where some of President Obama. I think President Obama was filibustered his uh, during his his administration three hundred and fifty times, something like that, or more. I mean, hundreds of bills that should have passed to protect the American people and to move our country forward died in that Senate. It's it's you know Mitch McConnell's graveyard. Yeah, and Sean, we talked about a little bit about this uh, the first time I was on the show. Mm -hmm. We have such a razor thin majority, and two of those senators are Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin. This makes this problem even worse. 
Well, and this yeah. is okay. So think about think about the Affordable Care Act, and think about the fact that there was a public option, okay, for the Affordable Care Act that would have allowed any American to buy into a low cost alternative to buying health insurance. And one senator, Joe Lieberman, made sure that did not happen. He said he would fill he would filibuster his own party to avoid that happening, which, you know, who knows how many millions of dollars he got paid by the health insurance companies to do that. Okay. But right. how many millions of Americans have, you know, gotten sick and and died as a result of of that? It's just, it's an insanely corrupt act. And so, but let's talk about the Senate itself. And again, I know this is kind of going back to basics and I'm, I, I'm probably talking too long here, but I really, really want to want to hit this because this is our constitution. I've gotten a lot of pushback online talking to people about the constitution because people say, oh, we have a great constitution, the founding fathers, blah, blah, blah. But in reality, this problem goes all the way back to there. And if you look at the 2021 Senate, it's a perfect example of this problem. It's a 50-50 split, but the 50 Republican senators represent 41 and a half million fewer voters than the 50 Democratic senators. And this is because low population states still each get two senators. And why is there a North Dakota and a South Dakota? Yeah. It got was, four senators, right? And nobody lives there. That was going to be my point was that, you know, the Dakota territories get twice the representation that California, the fifth or sixth largest economy in, in the, the world, world gets. That makes I know. no sense. It makes absolutely no sense. And so right off the bat, even if there wasn't a filibuster, we still have minority rule. And right. the Republican Senate conference has not represented a majority of American voters since 1996. Think about that. Yeah. And by the way, there was an effort to get rid of the Electoral College in 1970, and it was filibustered. <laughs> what a coinky dink, right? So a tiny minority of Americans in low population states can elect the 41 Republican senators who will block legislation supported by a vast majority of Americans, including voting rights. And this is a problem that's going to be very difficult to solve. So when Biden was asked that, I fully expected that he was going to say, yeah, we got to eliminate it. But he said no. And I'm not sure why, because if we can't if, if we can't have a fair election in 2022, Republicans can throw any result they don't like in a state they control to the legislature and overrule the will of the people. That is what we're up against. And Biden said that at his town hall. And it's, it's kind of shocking, but now people are kind of used to the idea. And we'd be living in a completely different America if not for this filibuster, as we pointed out. And it's a it's a tragedy. Um, I just want to ask you guys, though, say this scenario happens where. You know, say we were to get a Republican president in 24 and we had a Republican House and Senate, it could happen. It happened in 2016. Wouldn't it be good for the Democrats to be able to block legislation that would say, for example, say, you know, who knows what they would do? Who uh, suspending, you know, habeas corpus or some horrible civil rights violation, like, uh, you know, arresting people who taught critical race theory? Who knows, right? Wouldn't it be good to be able to block that? Is 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 it is it is it a goose and gander situation here, or is the filibuster so bad that it has to go? I think it has to go. I mean, 
when you have most elections or, or votes in general, it's like the person with the most votes or the idea with the most votes is the one that wins. If you have 51 votes, that should do it. You know, if you're setting the threshold too high in either scenario, it's, it's, I don't know. I mean, I get that it's a double-edged sword. So I think that you either have trust in democracy mm -hmm. or you don't. And we, what would I see is right now minority rule. I mean, that the, if you look at the polls and what people are interested in, people are interested in progressive liberal policies. And I think that speaks a lot to what would happen. I mean, yes, there would be times potentially that Democrats would lose out if they, we didn't have a filibuster. But if I looking at the land, political landscape, I'm thinking that overall doing a cost benefit analysis, I think it would really benefit our side not to have a filibuster. Yeah. I mean, I, I of course agree with you, but I'm just the, the devil's advocate position is, well, yeah. what if, what if 2024 comes along and we're dealing with, you know, uh, unified Republican government, the filibuster could be the only protection. So it's a, it's a tough call, man. And I think that, you know, that's, that's pretty much all I had to say about the filibuster. I just wanted to, to, to bring it home to that issue to see that it's, it, it, whatever we do, we're, we're treading in dangerous waters as long as we have, as long as Republicans can still cobble together some kind of, of, of governing yeah. minority. Yeah. Well, well you know, all... it, it, I think that ties into efforts we're seeing with, uh, uh, certain states trying to crack down on, you know, anti-democratic legislation, limiting drop boxes, you know, limiting hours, things like that. You know, um, it, it's all just incredibly, uh, you know, anti-democratic and problematic, but I think it's because the Republicans are afraid of their chances in the future. You know, I think that, I don't know about 2024, but I think that, you know, maybe in the next decade, maybe a few, maybe longer, that Texas might even turn blue. The demographics in that state are changing. And they they know this. These people are are evil, but they're not complete morons. You know, they know the, the writing is on the wall and that's why they're passing these kinds of laws. And so, I mean, I don't know about 2024. I get, I get the scenario you're presenting, but I think that part of the behavior on the side of the right can be attributed to their fear of their yeah. future. Yeah. yeah. Jonathan Zucker said the same thing, by the way, when we interviewed him. He he basically said that the demographic wave is going to swamp them after 2028. But in the meantime, we still might have a couple of tough elections. Yeah. You know, I said a lot, you know, right wingers will always constantly say America is not a democracy. It's a republic. Mm -hmm. and of <laughs> this course is why. Do. Yeah. Right. Because they have this fear. Right. Well, that's our people minority constitution. Yeah. yeah. People take it for granted. It's it's uh, it ties into what we were saying earlier about Americans being spoiled and selfish. You know, it's, it doesn't just, you know, stop at masks and and vaccines. It, it extends all the way to democracy itself. That's well, right. look, it's the consequence of being a superpower for 75, 80 years. Right. We are we're in the top of the heap, the top of the world. And we got arrogant and we stopped really uh, we just we th we thought we could just be in the top of the world forever, just ride it out, and we can't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All of these issues we've been talking about today, like the filibuster, the the you know the pandemic and the response to it, climate change, all of them, really is synergistic. 
right? Even what you mentioned before, Drew, about, you know, the internet and its corrosive effects all work together. And we have to think about in the end, how it will all play out based on everything, right? The whole shebang, not just what, what the pandemic is going to do, not just what climate change is going to do, but this growing, this growing authoritarianism, you know, the anti-science movements, uh, changes in the workplace and the nature of work. So many things are converging together to create a very uncertain future. And we're going to have to keep an eye on it, right? This is what we hear. We're all about in, at the radical secular is to kind of weed through this all this stuff out and make some sense of it. So um, I think we had a great conversation. You guys, either of you guys have anything else you want to add? Sean? I, I don't have anything. I, I think I, I think I, I exceeded everybody's word quotient for today. So I, I'll, <laughs> I'll let you guys finish up. <laughs> All I oh, want to great. say is uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to be part of the team. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to future conversations and future episodes. This is uh, going to be great. Happy to be on the team. Absolutely yes, true. Absolutely. Well, uh, that about does it for this episode for this week. Remember, if you like our show, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends to listen, check out our Patreon, and sign up to make uh, a you know, a monthly donation if you're able to. We'd really be grateful. New episodes post Monday at noon Eastern on YouTube and all the major podcast channels. We also publish new articles weekly in our journal, all at theradicalsecular.com. I'm Joe Kipinti. Thank you for being here. And remember, wherever you are, you can be radically secular. Radical Secular Podcast is written and produced by Christoph Defoe, Sean Prophet, and Joe Okipinti. Logo and main title designed by Tim Stetner. Post-production and original theme music by Sean Prophet. Special thanks to our support team, Lindsay Brightman, Jillian Sky Jacobs, and Lori Field Okipinti. Okay.